0: A lot of women that I talk to say, oh, you know, I'm a, you know, I work in education and I make $83,000 a year. That's a lot of money. I can live off that very well and I don't need to make any more money. I understand that and I hear that. But what I would say to those people is if your value is higher than that, you should absolutely ask for that and try and be compensated for your full value.
1: I'm Katrina Blowers and welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast. As a journalist, speaker and mentor, I know what it's like to have confidence and I also know what it's like to have to find it again after having a panic attack live on television while reading the news. I've interviewed hundreds of high-profile people and this is what I know for sure. We all suffer fear, imposter syndrome and self-doubt. no matter how shiny our life appears to be so let's reframe the confidence conversation together and uncover the hacks and secrets to get more of it claiming your confidence starts now Meggie Palmer is an Aussie living in New York, and she's the founder of Pep Talk Her. She is on a mission to close the gender pay gap and give women the confidence to stand up and get paid what they're worth. 2020 has, for many of us, brought up a lot of anxiety about job security and whether we can rely on our income still being there. It has shaken a lot of our confidence, particularly for women, of knowing what our value is even is at work right now. We're all told we have to be so grateful for what we have. And that's why I thought Meggie would be the perfect guest to bring on because she has so many fantastic strategies for how we can rework our mindset around negotiating for what we're worth, even in this crazy uncertain economic environment, how to even figure out whether we're getting underpaid and what we can do about it. In this episode, you'll learn Meggie's fascinating personal story of how she got to where she is today, how to negotiate like a boss, and a confidence hack Meggie used when she had to speak on stage after Barack Obama. Can you even imagine? This is the most insane story ever. And of course, everything we mention is in the show notes over at katrinablowers.com. So let's claim our confidence with Meggie Palmer. Meggie, thank you so much for joining me all the way from New York. it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you. Now, I I usually get my guests to set the scene and tell me, you know, where they are and what they're wearing, Uh just so our listeners can picture you in their minds. So, paint us a picture.
0: Yeah, so I am in Manhattan, so I live in, in, in New York City, and it's summer here, so it's getting a bit schwitzy hot uh, so I, and I'm working from home because COVID life, as everyone knows. So I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, uh, living my best Queenslander life in New York City. Uh, so it's awesome to be chatting to you because I know you're in Queensland as well.
1: Yes, Manhattan sounds so glamorous from where <laughs> I'm sitting. So <laughs>
0: well done to you for making a life there.
1: Oh uh, yeah, look,
0: and I, I love it here. And it's, you know, I mean, it's an interesting place now because, you know, obviously New York City was one of the hotspots in terms of covid Although I will say that the city feels like it's kind of waking up after a really, really, really bad hangover, like things are starting to come back to life. Like you'll walk around the streets now and there's most of the pubs and bars that have managed to sort of survive this long and now selling drinks, you know, that you can drink and walk along the streets. Restaurants have for the very first time this week opened up again for outdoor seating. So there's actually some places that have um, tables and chairs actually on the streets, uh, so it's, it's, it's waking up slowly and, you know, they, they talk about New York strong here in the city. And I think that um, businesses are slowly coming back to life. Hopefully it's just, it's, it's so sad. So many people have lost their jobs, obviously. So it's lovely to now be able to support those local businesses and hope that they can keep the lights on until things return to normal.
1: Yeah. Now, when I launched this platform, Claiming Your Confidence, a mutual friend of ours, Max Futcher, who's a journo who works for the Seven Network with me, yes, he said straight away, you have to speak to Maggie. You've got to get in touch with her because she would be perfect. And when I looked you up, I was like, oh my gosh, you are amazing. So you are not only a very accomplished award-winning foreign correspondent but now you've started a platform where your mission is to close the gender pay gap tell us a bit about yourself
0: yeah so you're quite right so I look I grew up in Queensland I grew up for those of you who know Mount tambourine sort of west of the Gold Coast on a hobby farm out there uh, moved to the big smoke Brisbane uh, to do my uni and I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do I know you always knew you wanted to be a Jono Katrina but I was kind of I liked English. Um, I liked people, but I didn't really know. And so I studied business and journalism. And long story short, I, I ended up doing work experience as a journalist, and my career kind of went from there, which was awesome. And I loved it. And it's such a privilege, as you know, to kind of have that window into people's lives in the very, the very best of times, uh, and and also the very worst of times. And so started in Queensland and ended up moving all over the eastern seaboard, um, working for Channel Ten and and Channel Seven actually, and then eventually. Um, moved moved to London where I worked for the BBC World over there Um, and it was it was awesome I I loved it Um, I love the places that that journalism has taken me sort of you know into into disaster zones after earthquakes um, you know to to red carpets I was lucky enough to take my cousin as my intern when I interviewed Brad Pitt on the red carpet in Paris (laughs) So that was a bit of fun. Luckiest cousin in, ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, bless her. And then, and then, you know, doing other things, like when I eventually came back to Australia, I was working at SBS Dateline and uh, one of my colleagues, Luke, another great journalist, he and I travelled into Syria to interview Bashar al-Assad in his palace, um, in Damascus. So that was sort of quite a surreal experience as well. So, you know, journalism is this, is this wonderful career where it's work in adverted commas, but it's also, I just, it never really felt like work, I guess, because it was just, um, it was just a wonderful opportunity to meet people and, and go to interesting places and kind of try to, I guess, give our audiences a bit of a, a bit of an insight into what that world is like and what those people are experiencing.
1: And in terms of you know, we look at your life through the lens of confidence. Was that something that came to you quite naturally, or say, for example, when you're on the plane to Syria, you're about to do this massive interview, and you're a woman as well? Did you have? Did you do a lot of self-talk? Did you have to get into the right sort of frame of mind before you did big jobs like that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and you know, I think you know, I'm so I feel very fortunate. I mean, firstly that you know, I was born in Australia and I think, you know, there's so many reasons to be grateful for for that. And then, and then secondly, like my parents really, and I don't know if it's a product of being a child of the eighties, but I was really taught from a young age that I could do anything. And I think that was definitely my parents, but also even at school, it was very much like you can do anything, you can be anything, you can go anywhere, you know, and my parents really reinforced that to me. And my dad actually, When he was when he was a a young professional, he had a stutter, and so he eventually uh, went to Toastmasters to try and grow his confidence. And I remember he must have—I don't know if I wanted to go or if he dragged me along—but for some reason, you know, I would go along to the Narang Toastmasters Club with Dad and and sit there and have to do a thirty-minute impromptu speech on you know the value of cheese or just something ridiculous. (laughs) They just throw the stupidest things at you, and I like—I remember that I must have been about. I don't know, nine or 10. And I remember feeling sick. Like, when is it going to come to me? Like just, you know, and then you had to stand up and you just had to do it. Um, and it's like a live cross
1: situation, Meggie, where yeah, they just throw it. questions at you yeah. and you're live on television.
0: Oh my gosh. I remember my first live cross water disaster, but, um, but yeah, I think that like, I, I think, I think being taught from a really young age to push yourself out of your comfort zone and what's the worst that could happen. I really thank my parents for that because I think that's a great mindset because, you know, so I'm at this Toastmasters. What is the worst that happens? Like the absolute worst case is that I start crying and run out of the room. Really? Like that is the worst Mm. case. Or people think that I'm an idiot like that and people that I've never met, mind you. So I think when you frame it like that, you're like, well it doesn't really matter if people that i've never met think that i'm an idiot and it doesn't really matter if i walk out of a room crying because it's only my dad that i know so so who cares so i think when for me it's about like also framing what is the worst that could happen and when i understand that that is actually not too scary then i can move to framing to what is the best thing that could happen what yes. if i give this 30 second impromptu and i make the whole crowd laugh or what if i teach them something or what if i teach myself something Or what if it's just a net neutral, you know? So I think like, for me, the best and worst case scenario helps me to kind of, it almost like prepares my brain to go, okay, I can actually deal with that. And so let's move forward, you know?
1: That's such good advice. Is that the kind of thing you think about now? Because you do a lot of public speaking now. Do you think about that before you get on stage?
0: (laughs) I think, I think it's like, you know, I like in confidence and speaking and negotiating, which is a lot of what we, we work on at Pep Talker. I like it a lot of it to a muscle, you know, like if you work out at the gym and you want to get massive biceps, like you have to go to the gym every day and pick up that weight and exercise that muscle, right? Whether you do it for 20 mm-hmm. seconds, two minutes, two hours, whatever, you have to do it every day. And if you do it every day, slowly, but surely that muscle is going to grow and it's going to get stronger and it's going to get bigger. And so I apply a similar kind of recipe, I guess, to confidence, because it's like, if I put myself out of my comfort zone today and tomorrow and next week, and when, you know, Salesforce asks me to speak on stage after Barack Obama, if I do that, every single time, all of a sudden my confident muscle is a lot bigger and a lot stronger. And so, yeah, I, I do think that you can apply that um, to, to speaking as well. I used to when I um, – speaking is a big part of my work now, but when I very first started getting paid to speak around the world, I would I would sort of be very nervous, very, very nervous, even up until a couple of years ago. Uh, and I would try and channel those nerves into excitement
1: That's what I do.
0: Yeah, but it's it's hard to like, it's hard to do that, isn't it? You have to, because it's easy to say, oh, just make it like, just channel it into confidence. And I can imagine there's people listening who are like, are you kidding? Like those nerves are (laughs) overwhelming. I I think I'm going to faint and I get it. You know, and they say that a lot of people, um, fear public speaking more than death, right? Like it's a real thing to overcome. So I think it's, it, you know, I mean, Toastmasters at the age of nine, like obviously for me, it's taken, what's that like more than 20 years. Um, to, to sort of to try and stretch and exercise that muscle. And look, I'm a work in progress. You know, I'm, I'm by no means perfect. I have days where I have massive imposter syndrome and I have days where I think I can take on the world. And um, you, I, I think having, having a core level of um, a confidence muscle, so to speak, kind of built up, that really, that really helps me.
1: Uh, that's such good advice. Now, did you say that you had to speak on stage after Barack Obama?
0: So, so, um, so I, yeah, so I, I, I spoke at this conference called Dreamforce, which is um, a technology company in San Francisco, based in San Francisco. And they had a big event um, and they asked me to, I think they have like, I don't even know the numbers, but it's like a couple hundred thousand people that go. And they asked me oh, to come what? and to do this keynote. <laughs> yeah, And so our schedule, it was like Obama. And then we were like the next scheduled programming. So that was kind of wild, uh, but really fun. And, uh, and, you know, I think again, for me, I reframed it to be like, it, this is not a chore, like to get up on stage and speak to these people and help these people. Like what a fun opportunity. So I just try and reframe it instead of freaking out and being scared and feeling sick, I just reframe it to be like, woo, party, let's go, you know? Like I just try and like psych myself up that way. Um, yeah. And then like I also actually smile. Like I, I'm, a, I'm a, like a nerd smiling like a maniac backstage beforehand and I also walk around with my hands on my hips um, and my hands. Yes, in, yeah. power poses. Um, yeah, yes. power pose beforehand. For, for any of you who've listened to Amy Cuddy's TED Talk, on how power posing changes the chemical composition of your body, that is that is very true in my opinion and certainly in my experience. So I I do that before all of my presentations.
1: Yeah, I find smiling. Well, they say that it that it actually changes your biochemistry when you smile, and particularly if you're visualizing something that might kind of make you feel quite nervous or make you feel quite sick inside if you visualize that but visualize it going really well and you absolutely change that self-talk into what an amazing opportunity people want to hear what I've got to say Um, I I get to do this and you smile while you're thinking about it going well It, it really does work but you do as you said Maggie you have to work at it pretty much every day.
0: Yeah, you do, and I think your point is a good one. When you just reframe the language to say, "I get to do this," so instead of saying, "You know, if anyone's listening, like I have to give a presentation, or I have to go to this conference and speak on behalf of my company, or you know, I have to be in this panel," instead you reframe it to say, oh, "I have this amazing opportunity to speak on this panel. Like, what a blessing and what an opportunity to kind of share the great work that my company is doing, or share the great work my not-for-profit's doing, or you know, whatever it is." I think reframing our mindset. Even though, frankly, like journalists, I don't know about you, but like as a former journalist, I tend to be fairly logical and rational, so sometimes the whole like mindset feels a bit woo-woo to me, frankly, Um, but I've actually learnt from my coach, it's taken us, uh, probably taken us almost two years that she's been working with me to help reframe that, and it's made a huge difference. Like I think I was saying to you earlier, um, we're putting in an offer on a house at the moment, and it's the same thing instead of saying like if we get this house, it's like when we move in, you know, it's like totally reframing your whole mindset around the actuality
1: that you're looking for. And the language you use yeah. and um, another one that I love, and I'm not sure if, um if, you have talked about this before I've got a feeling you might have but using the word yet so instead of saying I can't do this you say I can't do this yet and then again the language that you're using it 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 does have an impact on the neural pathways in your brain and it makes you believe that you are the kind of person that can do these things.
0: Totally. And the the neural pathways is a great point. And ultimately, when I talk about that metaphor of the muscle developing, really what we're doing is we're strengthening the synapses in our brain, right? Like that's, that's what it's all about for anyone listening who is feeling like maybe they don't have the confidence to step into that promotion at work, or to ask for a pay raise or to take the leap and start their own business like I did. It's it's about little baby steps to kind of build up those synapses in your brain so that the pathways become a lot stronger so that it becomes a habit rather than something, a huge hurdle to overcome. It can become just a, a habit and something that you do every day.
1: Now let's get on to Pep Talk, her, and the transition from being an amazing foreign correspondent to starting this this mission. So you um something happened to you, didn't it, where you realised that that the gender pay gap was real?
0: Yeah, and I think you know I've got to be honest, like I probably was fairly naive for, for most of my career, and I think you know i uh, as a white middle class Australian woman, like really, I had my blinkers on for most of my career and I I certainly was not aware of the level of discrimination and certainly pay inequality that affected women and that frankly particularly impacts women of colour to a much higher extent you know and I I, that discrimination is real we know that from data Um, in Australia the Women and Gender Equality Agency led by Libby Lyons who's an amazing woman, they they have hard data that proves that this is a fact. So I know that there's haters out there, they troll me all the time on Twitter that say the gender pay gap's not real. It is, right? The numbers don't lie and the data just does not lie. And we know from the data that women are, on average, paid about 20% less. There's, you know, fluctuates on either side depending on, on the industry and stuff, but it's around 20% is that gap um, that, that on average women are paid less than our male counterparts and so I had an experience yeah in my professional career where I came to realize that the way that I was being treated compared to my male colleagues at the same level was very different um, and I kind of was like what like I just didn't really think again I was just naive the blinkers were on I thought that we lived in a utopia and the world was a great place um, mm-hmm. and when I realized that that I was, I was I was being discriminated against right and I was like, surely not. And so I asked the question and um, didn't go down too well. Um, and, and I was, you know, given some options that weren't um, ideal, I didn't think. And so that kind of started me really on this journey of uh, firstly, the realization, the firsthand experience of how women are treated often in the workforce. and um, And then secondly, I became very interested in how could I help prevent people go through the situation that I did because I found it very anxiety inducing. I never knew what anxiety felt like until I was um, discriminated against and, and bullied by, by a large corporation. And so that experience, I'm actually very grateful for that because I guess it helped me build the muscle of, of um, working out what to do that I'm now able to help pay forward to other women through the Pep Talker community and through the app that we've built to, to help with these issues.
1: Now, you've also spoken about how frustrated you've become in um, women not seeing their own true worth and, and even Fortune 500 executives doubt their own worth. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's you know, I think sometimes, I don't know if any, anyone listening can relate to this, but sometimes, like, I don't know, I think when I was younger, I looked at certain people who'd reached a certain level and I was like, oh, they've got their life together. Like, you know, they never doubt themselves. They just walk in and like, you know, demand a salary and they just get it straight away. And they don't even have to think about it. And they just step into those promotions without any stress. And I kind of had this realization a few years ago where I was like, wait a minute, no one really knows what they're doing really. And no one, uh, not very many people truly believe in themselves and and 110% back themselves. And I was talking to a mentor of mine who is the CEO of a very large company and she was promoted into this CEO role and uh, she'd saved the company hundreds of thousands of dollars in, the, in, in her previous role and she as I said she was promoted to the top job and she didn't ask for a raise
1: and I was like oh goodness
0: what <laughs> and she's like oh no well, you know I'm just so lucky you know I'm so, and I was like sorry 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 let just like, just back up there. This is a company worth hundreds of billions of dollars. We know that you have single-handedly saved them probably a couple of million bucks alone last year. And you didn't ask for a raise. Are you serious? Um, obviously I, I put it a little more eloquently than that, but that, and I was like, this is amazing. Cause to me, she's on a pedestal. Um, she's more experienced than me. Um, She's had a longer career and I, and I just, I naively, again, thought that she had everything together and that she understood how awesome she was. I know how awesome she is because I have the, the pleasure of being in her circle, but she obviously didn't realize that, you know? And I think what, what can happen is when you don't ask for your worth and you don't advocate for yourself Often companies won't do that for you, right? Because there's there's profit motives, and if they can save some money here or there, of course they're going to. And so she's now finds herself in a situation where it's now very hard to renegotiate because she's already anchored at that that initial um, price, I guess that she accepted. And so anyway, yeah, I just I just found it fascinating, and I've since interviewed you know hundreds of women all around the world and on this exact issue, and whether they're movie stars, whether they're you know multi award winning artists. Um, like it's just extraordinary to me and we know that the the concept of imposter syndrome uh which is where it's it's, it's the sense that you're not enough or that you don't quite belong or that at some point you know the imposter police are going to knock on your office door and sort of drag you out
1: you know and you Um, just raised that excellent point when you said that she used the word lucky and I feel like as women we use that kind of language all the time and it's like oh it's just a fluke that I got here I'm so lucky to have this opportunity
0: and that's not to say that luck doesn't play a part in life you know like I'm not discounting that but I'm just saying like when you work really really hard for years and you show results to a company that is hard work you can call it 5% luck 10% luck if you want that's cool but like 80 or 90% of it was was bloody hard work you know and so you absolutely have every right then if you've proved your value to then go in and ask the question right? And you don't always get what you want. And sometimes they say no, but you have to ask the question because if you don't, who will, you know?
1: I think it can be so tough to know whether you are being paid what you're worth though, especially there's, um, you have to sign non disclosure agreements in your contract and and you have to agree that you won't discuss your um, remuneration with anyone. So how do you have these conversations? How do you even find out?
0: Yeah. Well, firstly, I would say that that is shocking policy. So I know that there are companies that do that. I know there are some big banks that do that. It's shocking policy, you know, and the reason that most companies do that is because if you're not educated and you cannot find out that information, you cannot ask the question, right? So it's really, really bad policy, the companies that do that. So I would say that anyone listening that has a company that does that, you should lobby to have that changed. The second thing is, um, good luck them proving that you have talked about it, you know? So there's ways that you can, you can, and I know that actually I'm, I'm based in the United States now, so I'm not entirely across the Australian legislation, but that legislation and that, that policy of not being able to talk about what you earn is certainly um, being phased out in a lot of progressive companies. And in fact, it's being mandated uh, that it's, that it's not allowed. So for example, in New York City, you can now no longer ask an employee what they previously earned. Because let's say if I'm a woman of color, right? And let's say I was earning $45,000 in my previous job. And we know that women of color are paid even less than white women, so that the gender pay gap is, is is much larger for people of color. So let's say I was already being underpaid at 45k. If my my next job says, "Oh, you know, what were you making at that previous company?" And if I say to them 45k, the new employer is going to anchor my new salary based on that information. Perhaps they had $60,000 or $70,000 put aside. But as soon as I say 45K, they're going to offer 46, 48, 50 and get me for a bargain, right? So New York State has actually outlawed that, which I think is really great policy. And I think we're going to see more of that happening um, globally. But for people who maybe don't feel comfortable talking about money, or who haven't been raised to talk about cash or what you earn, I would say start, start flexing that muscle. You need to learn that because it's a really important skill. And actually I would encourage people to just keep a little log of, you know, approximate job titles and companies and what people are earning, ballpark, so that you kind of have that to refer back to. There are, of course, resources that you can go to, like Glassdoor and other things like that, that will give you a range, but it can be fairly varied, particularly if you work in industries like the creative industries. Often that data is not very accurate. So what you can do is talk to colleagues, right? So, Katrina, you could say, for example, or some, sorry let's pretend there's someone called Phoenicia who's listening and she works at a big corporate company and she doesn't know if her salary is um, ballpark what it should be what she can do is talk to her friends firstly just have a frank conversation with them and say hey do you think that I should be in the 60 to 68k range does that feel about right to you so because sometimes people mm. don't want to say hey Hey everyone, I earn sixty three thousand dollars a year. People feel funny, yeah. so you can talk about ranges. You can say I'm earning sixty to, in the sixty to seventy k range. Does that feel fair to you for my job title? Um, you can also talk to obviously colleagues and mentors and sponsors, ideally within an organization. If there is that contract stipulation that says that you can't do that, you obviously need to be a little more strategic about how you go about that. But you can talk to competitive organizations to get a range from them. You can also talk to recruiters. So for everyone listening, I would say put it in your calendar now, a recurring calendar invite to call a recruiter every single year. Because recruiters have a great idea of what the market is paying. You know, I know right now, obviously, the economy is not as strong as it has been. So, so maybe salaries are lower. Um, maybe in three years' time, salaries will be booming. So if you have that regular conversation with a recruiter, they can give you a sense of what your skills are valued at in market. So you, you can then look at your own salary and go, okay, I'm fairly compensated or whoa, I didn't realize there was so much demand for marketers right now or for scientists. I should really be shopping around for another job or I should have a conversation with my boss about whether there's, there's room to move in the budget for my salary next year.
1: I think what's really come through for me with this is that you're, you've taken the emotion out of it and I think a lot of women look at it and they take it quite personally and we wrap so much emotion and self-worth into this stuff but you're like taking a, a market view, you're, you're looking at it in a way that's really pragmatic and down to earth.
0: Look, you know, I, I mean, part of the reason I left journalism and started Pep Talker was because, you know, I, I want to create change and I, I really believe in... Um working out a way to solve the gender pay gap. So I'm very mission driven. That's a big part of it. But for me, I also, I really want to create a company and a culture that I would love to work for. I worked for some less than desirable company cultures, unfortunately, and I worked for some great cultures as well. And so I want to create a culture that's even better, right? And create a business that people would just adore to work for. That's, that's my, that's what I'm sort of aiming to do. And I think when you, when you think about that, it's like, what you realize is that money is power, right? Like money makes the world go around for better or worse in capitalistic society. That's, that's the way it is. And so I also am driven by profit and like this desire to create revenue and create income so that we can do really great work with that. Right. So the app, the pep talker app is free. We've we've created it as free because we want it to have as big of an impact on as many women as possible. And so we need to make money to be able to fund the capacity to do that. And so I would say to anyone listening, a lot of women that I talk to say, oh, you know, I'm I'm a you know, I work in education and I make you know eighty-three thousand dollars a year, that's a lot of money. I can live off that very well, and I don't need to make any more money. I understand that and I hear that. But what I would say to those people is if your value is higher than that you should absolutely ask for that and try and be compensated for your full value. You can then take that extra money and you can give it to your sister, you can give it to your best mate, you can give it to your mother, you can give it to someone living on the streets who really needs it. I don't really care what you do with it, but I would say take that money and take control of that money and you decide where that money goes, right? Because I think you know it's just it's so important and we can make such a positive impact on the world with money, right? Whether we like it or not, whether we're driven by money or not, it's essential. And so I just, I would say to any women out there who would feel uncomfortable about money, who don't want to ask for more, who hate having that conversation, I would say get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. Do these conversations oh with your friends. So Do good, Maggie. conversations. Yeah, because like, you know, like before you're going in to ask for a raise, like practice with your brother, practice with your best mate. Pract- I always practice with my dad and I'm like, ask me the hardest questions and try and make me cry. Like, please, because if I cry (laughs) with my practice, that's good. Because then when I go into the real deal, I've already like dealt with that anxiety. I've had all those emotions. My body is prepared, you know? So I think we're sometimes so nervous that we're going to cry or we're going to say the wrong thing. And sometimes you do, but like do those mistakes as much as you can in the practice situation. And then the real deal will be a lot easier.
1: Yeah. And I think for women too, they're often having to negotiate with with someone who's in a position of power who's often male. So you've got a great yeah. cheat sheet, which you can download for free off your website, which yeah. um, steps you through how to ask for a pay rise or how to, how to um, enter a salary negotiation. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some tips right now? Because I think yeah. these are the things uh, many of us just dread the most.
0: Totally. And, it and it, you know, I, I, we mentioned earlier that public speaking is one of the most nerve-wracking things that people can do in this life. I would say that negotiation is up there as well. And I think often people think, oh, I don't know how to negotiate. I can't do that. But if you think about it, like I have two really cute nephews. They're so cute. But from about the age of, I'd say maybe nine or 10 months, they knew how to manipulate me. I, <laughs> and really what they were doing was they were negotiating. Like, if I took their toy, they would cry. If I gave the toy back, they'd stop crying. And like, that is a form of negotiation, right? Like it's like a a negotiation is coming to an agreement where two parties can meet in the middle ground, you know? And so I think sometimes we frame a negotiation in our minds as like, oh my gosh, it's this huge thing. It's a drama, it's an argument, it's a fight. It's actually not. It's a conversation, right? And everyone has them every day. So like, firstly, Mm. you can totally do it. And then secondly, like really, your boss needs something from you. They need you to come to work. They need you to sell widgets or, you know, create news stories or um, they need you to fix machinery, whatever it is. They need you to do that. And you need to have a safe, happy work environment and you need money so you can pay your bills, so you can invest in some shares and so you can, you know, buy flowers once a week because it brings you joy. So both parties have something that they need right? And so a negotiation around your pay or your conditions is really just a conversation to say, how much leeway have you got and what do you need and how can I help give you that? And then this is kind of what I need and what the market says I'm worth. And like, how can we kind of meet in the middle? And so I think there's a couple of things that the first thing that you can do when you're preparing for a negotiation is track your successes. And, and I think often we forget the value that we bring to a workplace because a lot of people have one promotion conversation a year. Nice. I don't know about you, mean, Katrina, but like, I don't really know what I did three days ago, let alone <laughs> no. two months ago. So like, if you're not keeping a track of that, it's really hard for you to then walk into your boss and say, boom, boom, boom. These are all the amazing things I did.
1: Should you be looking at that through the lens of your company or your boss? How do you frame those successes? Totally. Well, I think you've just answered the question there,
0: right? So if we think about it again as a negotiation between two parties who need something, you need to be framing those of like, what does your boss need? Your boss might need more time or he he or she might need more revenue or they might need a better team culture. So whatever they need, how can you help contribute to those needs? And then secondly, the broader overarching company, what does the company need? Does it need more revenue? Does it need more clients? Does it need better press? Does it need new staff members? Does it need new students? What does it need? And so how can you ladder up your achievements to meet those KPIs, right? And then obviously you might have your own personal goals as well that you want to try and achieve. And so, you know, we built the Pet Talker app because we wanted to make it easy and fun and um, accessible To keep track of those things. And so I would encourage people to, you can download the app if you want, and we describe it kind of like a Fitbit for your career. Like it just sends you these prompts to kind of recall the great things you did at work this week or yesterday or whatever it is. And so if you're doing that, say once a week, you can imagine you're going to come to the end of the year and you're going to have more than 100 achievements recorded. And so then it's a lot easier if you print that out when you're preparing for your pay raise conversation to go, gosh, I did bring in that massive client. Oh, that's right. I did organize the holiday party or oh, I was the reason we, re- we recruited John. You know, I introduced John to the CEO. Like you can think about all of those things because you've got them written down in front of you. So it's going to do two things. It's going to help you boost your confidence. You're going to feel better. You're going to get an endorphin rush, recalling all the great things that you've done. And secondly, it's going to take some of the anxiety away from performing for, a neg- uh, uh, sorry, uh, preparing for a negotiation because you've already got the data in front of you. And when you've got hard facts, it's a lot harder then for employers to sort of refute that or refuse your your request for better, better compensation or better benefits.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier about uh, the gender pay gap being sort of more severe in some industries than others. What are the industries where this really stands out? I mean... We
0: could talk about this for hours. So it's really interesting. Um, when, when we think about the gender pay gap, there's, there's sort of three factors that go into it. So the first factor is, is that women on average typically have more time out of the workplace, whether that is because they're caring for children or caring for elderly relatives or whatever it is. So there is that is partly a contributing factor to the gender pay gap. The second thing is, is that we know that women are more likely to choose lower paying jobs. So there are more nurses, for example, that are women than there are rocket scientists that are women, right? And so one industry is lower paid than the other. And so that is another factor that does contribute to the gender pay gap. But the third part of the gender pay gap that people can't explain it. Um, Economists have tried to explain it. Uh, They've done a lot of research into it and they can't explain it. And So the third part of the gender pay gap comes down to unconscious bias and blatant discrimination. And so that is, that is the part of the gender pay gap that I'm really interested in making people aware of both bosses and employees, because I think if we're aware of that, we can kind of shine a light on it and start to have those conversations. So it's interesting, even at the graduate level, right? Like if we think most, some people do, but most university graduates don't have children, right? So most of them have not at that point in their career had time out of the workforce. So in theory, it should be a fair comparison. But even when you look at graduates, there is a gender pay gap at the graduate level, which is just kind of crazy. But if you think about it, we know that, you know, men negotiate pay raises at a higher level than women. And so if John gets an offer for $50,000 for his first job and negotiates up to $52,000, and if I accept the first offer, which I did, by the way, when I started my career, I accepted what I was Mm. given. And I never negotiate, so I take that that 50K, all of a sudden it's only two grand, but it exists. And then obviously compounding interest and superannuation and ability to invest, all of those things snowball. And so you can see how the gender pay gap actually increases as we move throughout our careers.
1: Do you think women still have that thing where we just want to be liked? We don't want to come across as being hard asses or bitches. Like yeah. what is it?
0: I mean, look, I have that and it's, it's, um, I think in some ways it's great, right? Because it's, it's one of the strengths that we have as women. Um, I I think, I feel like for me as a business leader with my team and with my clients, we do a lot of work in-house with fortune 500 companies, like helping them to retain and engage their talent. And so I think my, um, my communication skills and my empathy is a great strength. However, it's also a weakness when I am um, caring what other people think. Maybe I hold myself back. Maybe sometimes I hold the business's growth back because I'm, you know, I do have that um, issue that you just raised where we do care what other people think, um, perhaps to our detriment. But again, I think it just comes back to being aware of that. And if it's your best mate or your family, it's really great to care what they think, right? When it's someone who is a hater anyway someone who is not in your cheer squad and someone who does not support you, does that really matter? And that's really, really hard. Or well, for me, it's been, it's been one of the biggest challenges I've had in business, I would say. And I, I haven't got the answers yet, but it's, again, I don't want to be like a broken record, but it's like a muscle that I have to stretch and I have to surround myself with the support network of people who do believe in me and who do want me to succeed. And I try and focus my energy on what they would advise me and what they would encourage me to do, rather than listening to those very few negative voices that kind of just get me down sometimes.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, given the world that we're in right now and the economic effects of COVID, are you concerned that the gender pay gap is going to suffer even more, that it's going to be exacerbated by the economic circumstances all over the world right now?
0: Yeah, look, it's a great question. And we know that um, the economic impact of coronavirus has impacted women to, women to a larger extent. I am hopeful, though, and i tell you why. I, you know, I always, uh, with, with this whole issue, it's, it's very depressing and it's, um, it's very negative, and I really want to try and be solutions focused when we talk about this issue. I'm excited because I think this idea where some of us um, have the privilege of being able to work from home now And I'm optimistic that that will mean that there's more job opportunities for women and that, that, for example, some people who might live in Sydney or Melbourne who would have loved to have worked for a company in Silicon Valley but couldn't move for whatever reason. Now, because a lot of companies we're seeing, um, I think it's like Twitter and Shopify are now going remote, remote first with their job ads. So now there's going to be new job opportunities that we can apply for that previously we would have been restricted from applying for. So I actually think there's a lot of opportunities for women in this economic situation. I think it might also propel a lot of people to start their own business. Um, maybe they were thinking about taking that step and, and were kind of feeling a lot of fear and maybe now, maybe now they'll be encouraged to kind of to make the jump, which I think ultimately uh, I don't know about you, Katrina, but I would certainly say I've, I've certainly not regretted um, making the leap and and starting a side hustle initially, which has now grown into, into a large company. So I feel excited about it Um, and I'm I'm choosing to be positive because I think the alternative is too depressing. I think we need to be aware of it and I think companies, when they're making decisions about cutting um, wages, um, laying off staff, they need to be really aware of biases that might creep into those decisions. Um, And I think, you know, as always, for, for people that are firstly minorities and then also women that are pregnant, I mean, it's just shocking the stories that I hear. And so I would just encourage anyone that's a leader or a decision maker who's listening to really take that into account because I think the world is changing and people are not tolerating behaviour that for so long was tolerated and swept under the carpet. Mm, Like a couple of people that have reached out to us about class actions, about this sort of behaviour from large multinational companies that everyone would have heard of. Like there's, there's there's change in the air, you know, and so I think it's really important now more than ever to treat people fairly uh, and, and with compassion regardless of their gender.
1: Yeah, and what an exciting time for you to be to be spearheading that movement of change as well, Meggie. Now, I know we are running out of our time together and you've already given us so many incredible tips on confidence, but I would love to know, I know that you coach people on overcoming imposter syndrome, so I've got some rapid-fire questions that I'm going to um, throw at you now just to finish off our time together. But if someone was to come to you wanting a quick confidence hack, a quick pick-me-up, up, what's your go-to tip
0: oh my gosh okay great question so what I would say is grab out your cell phone uh, and text one of your best mates or text a family member or text someone who loves you and just text them and say listen I'm listening to this podcast and this chick called Maggie, who runs this company called Pep Talker <laughs> has told me that I need to text you and I need to say what would you say is one of my best qualities And put it out there to people who love you. And I'm telling you, you're going to get a couple of funny replies and you're going to get a couple of weird emojis, but you're going to get some lovely responses. And people are going to tell you things that they love about you that you didn't even know were great qualities, right? And sometimes Mm -hmm. we we spend so much time beating ourselves up that we actually forget how much we are loved and valued by others. And we, we can't see what we can't see, right? We just don't know how we impact other people. And so, you know, it's like when you hear of teachers who, when they're 70 and retired, get some letter in the post from someone they taught when they were six saying, you know, you changed my life that day when you told me that one thing, you know, I think don't underestimate the positive impact you have on other people. So ask people in your network what they reckon is your best quality and hold on to that in those moments when you're feeling low and you're beating yourself up and hopefully that will allow you to kind of refocus your, your mind towards the positive qualities that you do have. And, you know, take a screenshot of that and make it your screensaver or add it to the Pep Talker app. So when you're going through that before a pay raise conversation, you have that great reminder of like, oh my gosh, Sally said that I'm like the best um, mediator in our family and I make all you know family reunions more bearable because I'm, I'm so good at sort of keeping everyone calm. I didn't even know that about myself. Because chances are that you're taking those wonderful qualities and you're applying them to the workplace as well. So I think I just love to ask other people because they often see you in a very different light.
1: Meggie, out of all the people who I've asked for tips, this is my favorite one so far. Thank
0: you so much. I love it. It's really fun. It's really fun. And we do a lot of workshops um with with big companies and we we often ask them to do this in the workshop. And there's always someone who writes back going, Oh, you're a wanker, like, you know, whatever. Like someone who just send them like a normally their brother or something like that, being like, Oh, what you know, you'll get a couple of funny responses, but people are also they always they also often get really touching messages like Sometimes people will cry, or someone will have to leave the room because they're a bit emotional. You know, I think we're we're very hard on ourselves. You know, and, and we're not all, yeah. we're not perfect. Um, I don't know about you, I'm not. Um, but but don't underestimate. Oh, I am.
1: No, I'm things. kidding. Oh, tell me your tips. Now, my next question for you: Is there a book you've read or a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey?
0: Yeah, look, my favorite quote is the quote that says leap and the net will appear. Mm. I love that quote. I don't even remember where I first heard it. But when I left um, a job that I absolutely loved at SBS with a fabulous team at Dateline, they very kindly gave me a Kindle as a parting gift with a Kindle cover that has that embossed on it that says leap and the net will appear. Because I don't know about you, but in my career, like sometimes I got comfortable and the easier thing was to stay um, and take a regular paycheck or whatever. And I had to really push myself out of my comfort zone to say, I don't know what the future of pep talker is. I don't know how to build an app. I don't know how to, how to create change, but I I'm going to leap and give it a red hot go, you know, and it's, um, I've had a lot of, um, soft landings along the way. And I'm really grateful for that. And I think when you, when you have the courage to take the leap, wonderful things happen. And it's, you know, you can apply that to negotiating, right? Like when you have the courage to have that conversation with a boss, um, they might say no. And, And that may be a turning point for you. You might say, well, you know what, this is not the company for me anymore. And it might force you to start looking for another job. Or they might say yes. Or they might say there's a job going, you know, in the Calcutta office, would you consider moving? You know, like, who knows what will happen? But if you don't ask the question, um, I think that we're sort of cutting off our opportunities.
1: Oh, I love that. Now, what do you do for pure joy? Something that has no goal or outcome attached oh, to
0: it. Great question. I love to cook, but you know there is a goal there of eating because I also love to eat. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love what to do you cook. love to cook? Oh, I made an orange cake yesterday. Actually, um, one of my dear friends, Shauna Kinnair, she's an amazing documentary maker. And she had a big um pbs frontline film premiere last night so i made her an orange cake that was delicious love a brownie chopped chip cookies you know all the healthy stuff mm, yeah
1: that's right <laughs> healthy for the soul yeah <laughs> and, and my final question to you is what does the future of confidence look like for you what are you working on in yourself right now that will take oh. you to where you next want to be in your life
0: Huh, what a great question um i think i think the future of confidence is investing in yourself, really, and, and and backing yourself and believing in yourself. And I, you know, I invest in coaches, I I pay people a lot of money to coach me, because I can't, I've tried to do it on my own, it didn't work, I needed help, turns out. Um. And so, you know, investing in staff as well, like growing our team was really scary for cash flow reasons. But as soon as I did that, amazing things happened. And I think, Just kind of, again, it's just that idea of like leaping and like being like, oh, I guess I'll invest this money in a coach and see what happens. I guess I'll invest in a therapist. I guess I'll invest in a new staff member. And in doing that, in making those leaps, um, I've I've certainly been very grateful from an individual perspective in terms of my mindset and my confidence, but also I've observed that our business um, has, has grown from strength to strength as well.
1: Gosh, amazing. I can't thank you enough for all the amazing tips that you've passed on today and the work that you're doing for women all around the world. Thank you so much, Meggie. We're going to put all your contact details in our show notes for how people can find out more about you and also download your incredible app. But thank you, Meggie. Yeah, you're so welcome. And listen, like I just I
0: I love what you're doing and I would love your community to see us as a resource as well. So see us as your cheerleaders. So like definitely Um, you know, connect on LinkedIn or Instagram. The Pep Talker account is, um, is good fun and we share lots of tips on there. And as you said, there's like lots of free cheat sheets and stuff on the website to help step you through some, some advice for negotiating. And the app's free and it's really useful. And, and, you know, please pay these, these tips forward to other men and women in your life, you know, who need a Pep Talk or who maybe aren't believing in themselves or seeing what you see in them, like help them as well. I think it's, it's amazing how, how much of a difference that can make to people's careers.
1: What fantastic and super timely advice from Meggie. And so comforting to know that even high-powered executives sometimes doubt their own worth. I know that shouldn't surprise me anymore because that's exactly why I started this podcast, to shine a light on the reality that we all suffer self-doubt and have these self-sabotaging thoughts. But It still intrigues me when I hear about it and it kind of spurs me on in a way to keep showcasing these stories so we can leverage each other's courage. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing Meggie's advice, you know, maybe they've been laid off or they hate negotiating and need their own pep talk, please share it with them and get in touch with Meggie and me on Instagram and let us know what you thought. And because we are a new podcast, I would be so grateful if you would hit subscribe so we can bring you even more incredible guests. I'm also going to be adding some more content in the next few weeks, so I don't want you to miss out. Go to katrinablowers.com for more info on this episode and any of the others so far. It is all there. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you so much for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.